Welcome to How She Creates. I'm Kaylee. And I'm Lauren. And we're here to take you behind the scenes with all your favorite artists to learn how they create. We'll discuss creativity, tips, tools, inspiration, and life as an artist. We hope these conversations leave you encouraged to make more stuff and share it with the world. If you have ever wanted to start teaching about your creative process or if you've got no idea about how a creative class comes together, today's episode is absolutely perfect for you. We've got Brandy and Pam who are sharing with us their process for creating an online course and how they go from idea to reality. In this episode, they share their best tips for supplies, pricing, student satisfaction, choosing a platform for teaching and this episode is totally going to encourage you to start teaching your own courses. Listen in today for lots of great recommendations and encouragement for all online creative class lovers. And just a warning that this episode is really, really long compared to other ones. So make sure that you grab a mug of tea or coffee or vodka or whatever you're into and sit back and listen. Um, so I'm so excited about today's episode. I have Pam Garrison and Brandy Kincaid here with me to talk about teaching and creativity. Um, will you ladies give us an introduction of yourselves? Brandy, do you want to go first? Yeah, so um, I'm Brandy, and I am currently living in Bellingham, Washington, which is really close to the Canadian-U.S. Um, border. Um, I'm out here from the South, and I am currently working full-time as an illustrator. That's the best way I can describe it right now. Um, a few days a week, I work at our local museum, so that's how I get my introverted self out of the house. Um, but that's what I'm focusing on now. And uh, I came by way of being an English major um, and teaching at the college level. So a lot of that informs what I'm doing these days. Very cool. I feel like working at a museum would be very inspiring. It absolutely is. Yeah. And what about you, Pam? Hi, I'm from Southern California and I am an artist and pretty much got serious about it. I'd say 10 years ago, I started blogging daily about my creative pursuits. And that's what I, I'm interested in a lot of different things, but my, my biggest passion is really just the pursuit of creativity in general. And I ended up falling into teaching eventually, as we'll talk about later, I'm sure. But, um, my main thing that I always want to impart is just to inspire and encourage and to enable people to to do it too. You know, you don't have to be trained as a fine artist to play and participate in and start living more creatively. Very cool. Yes. We love to hear that. Will you guys give us a brief synopsis of your creative story and how you kind of found creativity and got started? Sure. Um, I'll start. This is Pam. So I have always been creative. I bet everybody says that. Um, I'm sure Brandy too. And you, um, just since childhood, always wanted to make things and always making and got to take a lot of great classes. My mom was very artistic and, um, I just remember her like oil painting and we would always do crafts and, uh, just always loved it always, always. And then I went to college and and didn't give myself that option. I just didn't think of myself as that art training was a a viable option for me. And so 
I regretfully, you know, I majored in psychology, which is great. And that, you know, comes into everyday life and motherhood and everything else. But um, it wasn't until I had my kids and I was home and felt very, very isolated and alone and always making stuff. But I was the weird mom down the street watching the kids and people saying like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You know, if I had time, I'd do that too, but I don't have time, you know, and it was like, I have to do it, you know, or or I'm going to jump off my balcony, you know, or something if I don't get to have some creative expression while I'm standing in the street watching the kids and, you know, doing all those other things. And so it was about then that I did discover blogs, other people's blogs and was super inspired and encouraged. And so I started blogging too. And from that, just kind of, you know, it just really became, that was the turning point from when it really became my life, like my daily validated life, you know, where I've just allowed myself to become an artist, that that was my, you know, a super important priority in my daily, you know, life and goals and to always include that. And it's just kind of unraveled off from there. What about you, Brandy? So I think, yeah, Pam definitely hit it. I would say that I've always been creative in some form. My mom and my grandmother are both um, seamstresses. Um, So I came from sewers, um, you know, from hand stitching to machines. My grandmother owned a fabrics shop um, for quite some time when I was younger. And when I was little, my outlet was always drawing. I love to draw and doodle and, you know, um, kind of illustrate my days. And then as I got older, that creative focus shifted more towards words. And so I started writing more and that was my outlet. Um, and so I went to college and I got a degree in English and gender studies. And then I went to graduate school, um, and got a master's in literature. And it was after that, that I realized I needed some more avenues. I needed some more outlets. And just a couple of years ago, actually, that I started doing um, the 100 day project, I drew something every day. And I started sharing it more. And I think that's when I started giving that creativity credit again, um, credit that it was good in its own right, that there was no good. I think for a while I thought there was some kind of good out there and I stopped thinking about this big cloud of good and started giving it more credit, giving myself credit. And the minute I did that, it just kind of exploded for me. And I mean, it exploded in every bit of me. Um, And I needed to do it, like Pam said, every day. I needed to be connecting with whatever it looks like, watercolors and pencils and pens. Um, And so I began doing that um, more full time. And so now I'm constantly, I have this practice an hour every day, sometimes two, uh, where I participate in it. um, And I'm just, you know, I'm just feeling that creativity uh, like I did when I was younger. Wow. And, oh, that's fantastic to hear. Um, so you ladies have had more of the, of more of a recent renaissance, I guess. And, and, you know, coming back to your creative side um, and really developing, both of you have creative careers now um, from something you've, you've just developed in the past few years. And you can maybe speak more to this, 
But I think a lot of artists and creatives now are moving to teaching as, you know, their main way of making income. Or maybe I wouldn't say main way, but as a as a really great way to, to continue being an artist full time, but they've moved into teaching. So can you speak to, to that if you feel like that's the best way for artists to be an artist full time and kind of how you got started teaching? Okay, this is Brandy. Uh, and that's a that's a great question. So teaching actually came on at the start of this creative renaissance for me, I guess you'd say. So it's been a little bit different in that I had just started um, tapping back into that side of me and my work when uh, big picture classes reached out to me. And so for me, I was pulling on teaching English at the college and really missing connecting with people. And uh, and so it was so exciting to be able to think, OK, I've just started doing this thing that I love. How can I incorporate that in this new form? Uh, so I wasn't thinking of it in the career sense of, OK, this will be income and I can do this. And maybe that was the best thing for me at the time, because I could just dive into the subject I was really passionate about, although to be fair, I will be honest, when they came to me and asked if I wanted to teach a class, my first reaction was just, please don't ask me to teach one about drawing. I don't know how you teach someone how to draw. And that was my gut. I just thought, please don't let it be that. I don't know how to do that. Um, And I very quickly realized that the way how to do that um, was just to be very honest and very open about how I approach the subject. And so it made that transition really great. And now I can think about teaching um, from a business perspective, too, of, okay, I'm an artist and I can share these skills and techniques that I've learned that I couldn't find other places. And it will not only help me grow, but it'll help someone else grow. So my perspective has shifted, but it was definitely one in the beginning of just, this is exciting and I'm, you know, I'm participating in it more. So I want to share that with other people in this way. Um, and I did figure out how to teach people to draw, I think. Um, so it wasn't as scary in the end. What about you, Pam? I'll, I'll say that, um, so I'm a little older than Brandy <laughs> and I've been at this, I think I've been teaching for about 10 years, um, maybe a little less, but shift in the venues. So it, it started out, I first I think my first teaching things were really Art Fest, which was a, a huge uh, yearly event where 450 people would um, go and it'd be a week long creativity and all these courses. And then I would do some other events that were more project versus process based. Those were more process. And really, you spend a whole day getting into, you know, exploring whatever different art forms. And then Um, a lot of the things that I was invited to do turned into more project, like it'd be holiday theme, or there was something called Silver Bella that happened a lot in Omaha. And there were a lot of fun events. And then I noticed a shift where it started becoming more, these events started turning into more people did want to not just come and learn arts, but they wanted to learn how to make a living being an artist. And a lot of the, the focus shifted and also the technology kept developing. And so people platforms started, you know, popping up where you could teach or people were doing it themselves, just, you know, beginning to um, do these online courses. And that kind of got bigger too. I don't think at all it's 
a necessary way for an artist to make a living. But if they do feel inspired or, you know, that it's part of their calling to share and teach, then it absolutely is. It, I mean, this year it would probably make up at least 60% of my income from art, you know, and that's a lot, you know, it's, it's, you know, and of course it's a lot of work too. You could get it somewhere else, you know, the time you, you just have to choose, but I'm just saying, I think if it's something people are interested in, it's certainly a viable outlet for uh, making a living as an artist, but I don't think it's a requirement, you know, to, to do that either. Yeah. You guys. Yeah, absolutely. You guys both brought up a lot of good points. Um, and so I don't think we actually explained what type of classes you teach. So let's do that really quickly. Um, Brandy, will you give us the general overview of the classes that you have or maybe the type of classes? Yeah. So, uh, my two main classes, um, that I started with, I do with big picture, um, doodled and doodled 2.0. So doodled is just an introduction to, um, some techniques for drawing and how to use it. Some step-by-steps really basics and doodle 2.0 is taking your analog, um, pen and ink drawings and making them digital. And that actually came from the fact that I was trying to learn how to do it and really struggled to find the resources. Um, they're just, it was either everything I needed to have a degree in these, um, technologies, or it was so basic that I could have done it myself. So I created something that follows the path of what I learned um, a really painful way that first year. Um, I've also done some classes with uh, making mini book albums um, because I liked to do a lot of different kinds of art. So a lot of paper crafting as well. And so I've contributed to a lot of paper crafting classes for other people um, that are around, you know, doing scrapbooking or pocket pages, that type of thing. Okay. And what about you, Pam? I, um, a lot of my live teaching, uh, events are, um, usually weekends and it's either art journaling format or, uh, some painting and mostly it's, you know, either art journaling focused or, um, creative expansion is mostly what I teach live. Like, and so I'll use those mediums to encourage, inspire and inform, you know, um, just creative expression and all that. Um, online with creative bug, I have doodling 101 and I have, um, creative sketchbooking and, oh my gosh. Oh, like 30, 30 things to draw. It's daily. I'm forgetting my other items, but, um, those are four week, four part classes, which are awesome. And, and they just, you know, um, take you step by step through some things. And then I've hosted on my own site, uh, painting petals, which was all about, uh, loose and expressionistic florals and using different mediums to do those. So those are, I used to do a lot more like fiber and different things, but now it's pretty much honed down to art journaling and painting and, you know, doodling, lettering. Yeah. Yeah. I love the diversity in your, both of your classes. So, but along those lines, do you feel like you have to be an expert to teach when, when is it appropriate for you to start teaching? 
So Pam, I definitely don't think you have to be an expert to teach. My experience, I, as I said, I'm not trained as a fine artist. You know, I don't have a degree. Um, and I hope that students find that encouraging that if I can do it, they can do it too. That it's, if it's valid for me, it's just as valid for them if they're interested, you know, that, that they, they're, they should participate just because they want to. Um, I, it started because someone who had these events said, you know, asked me to teach. And I said, Oh, I, I know it's in my future, but I just don't think I'm ready. And she's like, you're ready, you know, and just jump in. And so I did. And it's just all kind of like built from there as I keep going and growing. And, and what I say to friends who are trying to determine if it's time to teach yet, if they're ready, it's, you are an expert on your process. If your process, if you have enough to share, you know, if you, by exploring and learning and playing, if you, if you have enough information on tools or technique or your method, you are an expert on you. And as long as you're not, you know, presenting yourself that this is the be all end all and you're open to, you know, learning and changing, I think it's a completely valid um, exercise to teach, you know, because you do know your process, just like Brandy was saying, as long as she could figure out a way to communicate her process, it's completely valid to teach that because I want to know that more than I do want to know some esoteric, you know, book, traditional art method. Oh, that is such a good point. And I love when you said, you know, the goal with teaching is to encourage and to inspire and to inform. And so, like you said, it's not becoming the expert. I always think about the fact that with Photoshop, you know, Photoshop is very large and they have a great platform and they have a lot of great help articles. But whenever I need help doing something in Photoshop, I just Google it. And then I just watch random videos that come up on YouTube. And so because every, every, and I've taken multiple Photoshop classes and everyone that I take, I notice I learn something different from, for doing the exact same thing because everyone does it differently. And it's just the same with painting. Everyone does, you know, just something like watercolor differently. And so every time you take a different class from a different person, you learn the same thing, but differently until you find one that fits best for you. Sure. Um, or each time you can learn something that's unlocking a little bit more creativity, you know, the same subject from different teachers, you could just pick up, keep picking up, you know, different things that your, your techniques, your um, process becomes more and more informed. And eventually, you know, people are asking you to show them how you did that, you know? Yeah. And in the end, and when then you turn around and start teaching, it's not like you're teaching, you know, just a replica of the class you took because you're combining all of your experiences, all of your ideas and your processes. In. And it, it might look completely different, even though you're like, I learned everything from this one person, but it still is totally different. Um, so I love that encouragement that anyone it's can super teach. important to make it your own before you. I mean, you have to you do have to. Um, have developed enough of your own individual, you know, your own voice and artistic expression before you, you know, try to share it because, you know, it has to be deep. It has to be many layers deep. I think we completely agree on that, Pam. I was thinking my initial response to that question is that uh, I feel like there, the idea of there being an expert in anything is kind of um, a false 
understanding of it. But I really liked what you said, Pam, that you are an expert on your own process. And so that I think is a really good spin on how to frame that. Because at first I'm like, well, there is really no expert because we're always learning and growing. And because we really have to attend to the students that show up. And so the students that show up are all going to be so unique and bring such different perspectives that um, by kind of bringing ourselves in as honestly as possible, that's how we can attend to them. Instead of just trying to make this one blanket, this is how it needs to be done. I recently contributed to one of Allie Edwards' classes. When I was creating the video, I started up front by saying, I've noticed that a lot of people in the earlier lessons kept thinking or writing comments saying, oh, now I know the right way to do that, or I've been doing it the wrong way. And I said, I actually do it differently than those videos, not because one's right or wrong, but because I did try those ways. And for me, it's just not, I'm not good at doing it that way. It's not natural for me. So I do it this way and I love it. And I wanted to make sure that those watching heard someone say like, hey, do it however works for you. Um, Yeah, like Lauren said, they'll eventually click where one's like right for you more than maybe for someone else. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So thinking about getting started with teaching, what would your tips be? How would you suggest that someone get started without maybe doing an entire class? How could they test out teaching? Mm, this question. is Brittany. So I think, yeah, I think you, Pam and I were talking about this before and I hope I'm not jumping ahead, but I'm thinking of, there are so many small ways that I think we teach when we don't really realize it maybe. So when we do a project and we share it, I feel like that is an act of teaching because someone asks a question and they say, I love that. I love that cover. I love that painting. I love that drawing. How did you, and the minute we answer that question, there's an element of teaching to it. So I think that just by starting out and sharing on a platform that's comfortable, because that's the basis, right? Is you need to feel comfortable. So you want to continue. So if you're comfortable with Instagram, you might do a Instagram story or something where you show the steps. This is how I did this. And you get a feel for it. Did it feel good? Did it feel right? Did you know how to answer the question? Questions. I feel like just stepping off into something that's already known into the unknown can be a really helpful transition uh, without a lot of fuss or pre-prepping and planning and buying a lot of things. And, you know. Yeah, I agree. That's great. And I also think that doing things like um, writing articles for magazines and contributing them is a great way of really breaking down your teaching so you can make sure that you have enough information and that you are good at explaining it and sharing it because we can you know have these processes but we have to be able to communicate them you know and I think that um, just like Brandy was saying sharing it even on a blog and steps or something like that is a, a good way of practicing and and really getting more organized and seeing if it's, you know, teaching that you really do want to do. Um, uh, Periscope, actually, I don't know if anybody's doing it anymore. I I dabbled in it and it was really fun to have that instant feedback and communication and questions. So that might be some way to test out if you know, if you can answer on the fly and be interrupted, have your thoughts be interrupted when, when you're live teaching. So live teaching is one thing, I guess. And then, you know, filming is a different thing. And for live teaching, I do feel like, you know, you have to 
uh, be able to kind of break up your train of thought and switch and answer, address some issue and then go back or, you know, have a question, take you off on a tangent, maybe more than something else. So maybe Periscope would be a good practice for that. We also talked about um, contributing to someone else's class is a great way to, you know, have a smaller investment and risk to try out teaching or um, even doing a guest post on somebody's blog might be a, a way to see if you like sharing your ideas and getting questions about them and, you know, having that kind of community teaching learning thing. Yeah, I think those are all great ideas. When I think about simple ways of teaching, I think people, like you said, Brandy, just sharing your work is enough of teaching that people don't realize that they're doing. But when I think about other people who've done this well, think about Laura Hager, she's a scrapbooker and she shares on Instagram. Um, she had, she did the hundred day project and she did a hundred days of scrapbooking tips. And so every day she would post, you know, a picture of a scrapbook and just a simple tip. And it was very helpful. And like, she was a very good teacher in that way. And so I think just posting, you know, like you said, blog posts, tutorials, just tips, even on somewhere simple, like Instagram are a great way of teaching and testing out teaching and seeing what people want to learn. So how do you guys figure out what people want to know? I think that it's what people are engaging with in in what you're doing already. Um, so for me, if I'm sharing something um, that I'm experimenting with, so I'm trying a new form or new style or, and then people are asking certain questions, it's important to listen to the kinds of questions that they're asking. So not just, you know, how do I draw this? How do I glue this? How do I paint this? It's, you know, what's the impetus behind that? You know, are they bored? Are they looking for something unique? Um, are they just wanting an easier way to learn something that you think is already out there that, you know, maybe you could tap into? So listening is kind of the crux of it. And sometimes I feel like maybe the the idea is really people don't always know what they want to know. So the job of the teacher is to identify what maybe is missing that no one even knows they need. Um, tap into what you have in yourself that could do that and then put that out there. It's, you know, you get feedback instantly as to things that, you know, light a spark in other people. I also just think that you just have to authentically pursue what you're interested in and your passion. I think there's room for all the artists and all the teachers and um also i think that everything that you're authentically passionate about has an audience it might just be finding it it might be a smaller audience or something but i do think that that really if you're passionate about something and authentically just pursuing something you will find those people and sharing it like brandy said i do think sharing is a huge key component to teaching success. Um, and I think that if you're doing that, your audience will find you as well. And they'll let you know too, what they, what they want to have you inform them about. Yeah, I agree. I think listening to those questions that people are just, you know, 
generally asking you on a, on a, you know, a repeated basis is a great way to know. And I love what Brandy said is that some, sometimes people don't know what they don't know. And so they need a little bit of guidance in that. And so it's like, you know, as a teacher, you take the topic that you get asked about like drawing, but then you have to figure out how to break it down. And so talk a little bit about how you see teaching as creative or, you know, is it totally selling out and you're not really being creative anymore? So for me, teaching is probably one of the most creative acts that that I'm doing on any given day. Uh, and I say that because it's something that's carried through. So no matter when I was teaching English and we were talking about writing a critical essay, which, you know, 18 year olds love um, and finding, a, you know, finding a way for that to work or whether it's now teaching someone to draw or to create an album, something like that. The biggest um, and most valuable piece of teaching for me and what I think makes me love it so much is that I'm always looking for how to help someone find their own way in to whatever subject it is. So we don't have to. I'm going to teach you the way I do it, uh, but you don't have to do it that same way. My goal and my job as a teacher is to help you find your own way into the subject. And the act of doing that is so different with, like I said before, every student that shows up is so different. So I get to reimagine, rethink, um, refocus how I'm doing it every single time. So I can, if it's in person, it's easy because they're responding right away. You can see body language. People are asking you questions in real time and you can adjust and think and problem solve how to help them find their way in, how to make it accessible. Uh, online, it means that you have to think about it in the moment. So like I will do one class, get a lot of questions and feedback and see what worked and what didn't or what people are asking for more of. And then when I can do the second one, especially if it's a non-similar subject matter, then I know, okay, there are students out there that really need more of this or more of that. And I can attend to it in a way that still feels really authentic. That's still the way I want to share it, but will help more people to find the way in. Um, so I think, I think just that active reinvention every time is creative. I mean, you're kind of thinking on your feet a little bit. I agree with Brandy. I think teaching's creative because I look at it it's a challenge. To me, creativity is thinking differently, thinking uniquely, challenging yourself to constantly try new things. I don't pursue creativity where I've got something in mind and I'm focused and there's one way to do it. So for me, teaching is exactly the same, just trying to share a that uh, approach to creativity and also the puzzle of figuring out different ways so that I can explain it to different people who, who think differently, you know, so that they can challenge themselves to try to come up with three, four five different paths to, you know, expression using this or, you know, what, whatever it is. Um, I just think the puzzle of yourself approaching it different ways and, and different ways of expressing it to, for, for students to uh, experience it is also creative. So what do you think the benefits are that people gain from learning and from learning about art? Why can't people just, you know, paint on their own every day until they figure it out? Oh, I think they can. I mean, I think that's certainly what a lot of people do do. And 
I mean, I spend a lot of time discovering on my own, but I personally take a lot of classes because it's fun. It's a shortcut. A lot of times you'll try things. I always am hoping that my students will use my supplies, you know, when I'm live teaching. So they don't, they can find out what they love and what they hate and they're done. You know, they don't have to go go waste their money and, you know, risk it to try something else or something that they thought wouldn't be appealing. It's just made easier to even just dabble in it to see if it, if it lights a fire under them. Um, And, and the main thing I think that it's hard to um, know before going in is that people really do. I think when they take any class online or in person, they are encouraging their inner artists and giving them permission. They're validating themselves and their, you know, expression. And so I think it's a really big thing for people in their creativity, but it's, it's like a, you know, it's not an obvious thing. You're not thinking that when you sign up, you're going to learn this or that you're going to learn to paint or, you know, whatever it is, but bonus from it. And and lastly, I just think the community doesn't really, isn't obvious from the outset that it's so, I mean, online there's forums and, you know, people become friends and they share ideas and other, you know, information and resources and same with in person, you know, friendships are developed and um, sharing that, that continues on. And I just think those are huge to creativity and fun. Super fun. I agree. I mean, I think Pam really hit the nail on the head. The big one that I was going to say was the community aspect of it. Um, I've been just incredibly humbled by what that can do, not only for the student, but for the teacher and what you end up learning. Um, And I think this pulls on what she's saying too, but so much of what we learn if we're just seeking it on our own, we don't always know everything we're looking for. So it takes a long time. It starts as a quick Google to see a video, but then you realize, oh, I actually need six different videos to do this. And then I need this other step. And so some of these classes, the gift that they give you is just the kind of pulling it all together and making it more manageable in a way that you might not have known you needed it to be more manageable. Um, And that can give you the gift of time. And time is sometimes the most creative gift that we get. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity there for someone to say, hey, you can figure this out on your own, but let me me offer it to you in a way that's going to make it more possible. Oh, I think you just hit the nail on the head. That is exactly, I think, the best reason why classes are so valuable and so worth whatever you're going to pay for the class. And I want to say, add a couple things in that when you pay, I do feel like versus, say, Pinterest or Instagram or somebody's blog when they're they're very generous and sharing. But when you make a financial commitment, I know for me, and I've I've heard feedback on this from a lot of students you really do it. You, you show up for yourself more. It's a commitment. It's more of a commitment. And so there's something about, you know, you've paid this money. It's hard earned. You're going to follow through or a little bit more sometimes it, it seems like, you know, and, and really um, engage in it versus maybe you're just going to, if it's free, you might, or you might not. I've pinned a million things, you know, that I totally inspired by. And then I fail to go back and follow through, you know, do it. Um, and I just feel like when you commit to a class, you're really committing to your artist. 
you know, and I think that paying for it sometimes is a necessary step to make you do that sometimes, you know, that time, that money, whatever it is that you've, you've invested that. So now you want to make sure that you really get the value. And the other thing I, I was thinking was that, um, if you are just working at home and you, you know, are getting something from Pinterest or, you know, wherever a book or anything, you might not challenge yourself outside your comfort zone. But when you join a class online or in live, I feel that you get encouraged and inspired and also maybe just, you know, take, take, don't need to feel quite you feel safe in exploring, whereas at home, it just might be uncomfortable or you wouldn't push yourself past, but you kind of get that support from the teacher and from other students to go ahead and get a little uncomfortable on your way to getting more comfortable with something, you know, on the way to growing your creativity. Oh, yeah. And I think it, the exact same thing is true, but flipped for the teacher. I think you know, for me, when I'm writing a blog post tutorial, you know, I'm okay to say, you know, kind of keep it brief or say, you know, you can Google this part to figure this out. Um, but here's the main portions. But when I'm teaching a class and I know that someone is paying me, I am going to make sure that I go super in detail. Yes. I'm going to work so hard and make sure that this is the best quality that people can get because they're paying for it. And so I think, yes, you know, it's the same. True. It's the same as a learner and as a teacher. When there is that financial commitment involved, you really do step up your game. That's true. So it just might be more thorough on both sides, you know, and another good reason to go ahead and, and take classes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's transition a little bit more over to the technical side of teaching. So if people are interested in teaching or even for me, I always find that when I learn more about behind the scenes of something, I'm a little bit more, um, appreciative and understanding and, you know, well-informed about it. And so, you know, I hope that this part part will serve both of those purposes for people who just like taking classes or people who, you know, might want to start teaching. Um, but can you guys speak to, um, this is, I guess, this is a little bit more in the middle of those two topics. But when you're choosing a class, um, what are your tips for choosing, you know, online versus in person and the type of class of either, you know, process or project? You know, I'm going to learn how to doodle or I'm going to learn how to make a wreath, you know, coming out with a specific project versus a skill. What do you guys think? What are your tips for people choosing? So from the standpoint of, because I think it's different. So if you're the student and you are choosing um, whether or not you want to do one or the other, uh, that gets so much more into your ability to say, okay, as a learner, I need this way. So I really need this person in front of me and I need um, to be able to process it. And oftentimes those are so much better, I think, in a in a process driven class instead of a project because process, I feel like you're so much more raw teacher and student. You're really trying to get to the core of something, not just there are some very neat and tidy steps that can be done. Um, from the teaching standpoint, uh, for me, uh, I coming from a background where it was all much more in-person type of um, situations, everything is now um much more online classes because I don't have a community where I have a lot of an audience here yet. Maybe I will. I'm going to find them. Um, but right now it's more 
online driven. And so when I when I start looking at that route, I'm just thinking more, okay, if it's process, how do I make sure I cover all the bases that someone would need that they would get from me in person? Because I'm not going to be able to see all those different students who are there. So how can I make sure I'm hitting all of those, those different key points? It's not just all one format. So it's not all videos. It's um, not everyone. And it, this is not, I think, popular, but it's true. Not everyone loves and learns from videos the best. For sure. They need to be able to to sit and read and they need to see images that are just, um, you know, static and that they can just kind of dig into and review. And so I have to think through that so much more because I feel like that's what makes it a good class and helps them, you know, to develop more when it's just a project that's kind of a one off, you know, usually like a wreath. It's a one off. You're going to watch it. You'll learn. Then you know how to make that wreath and you kind of make it your own and you do more wreaths, but you're probably not going back and you know, reattending that class. I think there's a little bit more leeway there because you don't, you don't need as much you know, around it um, to bolster it. I agree with what you said. I was thinking the one thing about a live class is sometimes it's really a great way to immerse yourself in it completely, you know, and really, just shut down everything else and devote your time to it. And you're just there, you've blocked out time and that's it, you know, so you're just kind of going with the flow and surrendering to it. Whereas sometimes personally, when I've done online classes myself taken, um, I'll break it up or I won't give it the time that I should to really make some breakthroughs so that I agree with Brandy completely that you have to know yourself and your style of learning. And as long as you're willing to get a little uncomfortable and not just doing it because it's safe, you know, sometimes an online class is perfect because you are working all day long and you don't have time to, or, you know, the weekends are precious and you don't have two days to just give away to art making for fun. And you want to, you know, break it up into bits that you can watch and rewatch over and over again. Um, I would say that I think that, a project I found for me teaching, it's easier for me to teach a project versus process like in written form or, you know, I feel like it's, it's less important to be live or even video, you know, and I definitely agree with her. Not everybody loves videos. Not everyone learns from them. Well, not everyone has the technology to play back videos. You know, sometimes they just want a written class or pictures, you know, the visuals, but not so much um, information. I do have a, a girlfriend who's also a teacher, a lot live teaching, and she took one of my classes and she was saying, you share so much. Sometimes maybe for some students, it's overwhelming. Like they don't want all those options. And, you know, I personally, since people are paying a lot to come take a class, I want to give them every single thing I know, you know, and every, you know, ask me any question. I want you to, you know, go through my stuff and tell me what you want to know. I want to share it. I want to give you, you know, up to the date, what I, you know, where I'm at with my knowledge. And it was a really great, you know, feedback for me to evaluate how much is too much, you know, you don't want to overwhelm somebody and, and to kind of vary it per student. And that's something that the student can do on online, you know, they can turn it off, process it, you know, rewatch it, take some time, let it soak in. Whereas live, you are totally immersed and you're not 
necessarily able to just tap out and just take a mental break. You know, um, we always joke at at these classes when they're weekends long about how exhausting it is, like being creative and thinking, you know, it's so fun, but it also really is exhausting because we're really, you know, um, fully engaged in it. So I, I think that, that both are great. And I think that as if someone's thinking about teaching, they should definitely be open to both. I think that's the beauty of the online world. You know, I live in Korea and so there's not a ton of classes that I can take here that where they speak English or where they're, you know, in my part of the city. Um, and so online classes really are, you know, such a godsend for people who don't have the time, um, or the money, you know, cause some online classes are so inexpensive and so affordable. It's really is a great, great opportunity, I think. And that's why we've seen such, you know, a revolution in the art world for adults. Um, I love that. So give us a, ballpark figure of how long you spend to teach a class, you know, minus the years and years you take, you know, learning and practicing and honing your skill. For me, it's, well, oh my gosh. So online, it was, took me forever. I just, technology and I have our battles and I ended up actually having to, um, for the one that I self-hosted, uh, collaborated with a friend who basically I paid a percentage and she edited and helped filmed and helped me with technology because it just, I was, you know, becoming overwhelmed with the need to be an expert at filming and sound and editing and Oh my gosh, storage. And now, you know, we'll talk about that when we talk about the things that I recommend if someone's going to start getting into it. But for me, it took forever. It took literally a year for me. Um, at least eight months of off and on hardcore. Like we, I rented a place in Palm desert and we went out there for four days and filmed and it just takes a long time. And then something where I teach live, you know, it all just takes so much longer than you think for everybody, you know, everything. Right. And um, there's just a lot of prep thinking about it and preparing and, and all the other packaging and, you know, gathering supplies and all that. It's, it's a lot more involved than I would think from the outset being a student. Yeah. It is hard to see all of that work that goes into, you know, a shiny little one hour class. Um, yeah. It's very deceiving. What about and you? For some people they take to it naturally, you know, it just technology is not my gift or passion. So for me, it's just really challenging. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's what yeah. you know that with your skills, you have to know what's best for you and know that that can be a challenge in that way. And, you know, maybe even yeah. forming your class around that a little bit. I had to problem solve for sure to make it make sense. Brandy, what about you for your big picture classes? class? Yeah. So I would say, um, it takes me, um, for let's say doodled, which is the first one. It took me about, um, I think a month, um, which seems like I was going into this thinking like that was so long. It took me a really long time. It was so much work. And then Pam talks and I'm like, well, that's what did I, I'm like, what did I do for that class? Um, <laughs> But it, the biggest part for me is the, the plotting and planning up front. It's the brainstorming. It's the, uh, I'm a big 
big fan, and I think this is a holdover probably from being an English major, but I'm a big fan of the outline. And the minute I've got an outline, a core one that feels good, then I can run with it. And it feels like everything kind of like opens up, the doors open up, the windows open up. And so getting that outline is usually the most painful part um, and time consuming. Once I do, then I'm running with it. There's so much work that goes into it that it feels like, wow, I know this isn't always, this isn't always visible to the student on the other side, which on one hand, it's good, right? You don't always need to see what's happening behind the scenes. You just want to see the play. Like you don't need to see the actors changing clothes behind the curtain. Uh, But it is important because it informs how much you can give because it technology is technology. I mean, it doesn't behave. And unless you're really smooth at it, which Pam, I'm not either, um, you can let it, I think, bog you down and slow you down and stop you from the work. And most people who are really creative um, are not necessarily focusing on the best way to shoot that video. They're focusing on the work. And so right. that yeah, can take videos and pretty, you know, it's interesting because right. we want that creative result. Mm-hmm. But not, I just don't want to become an expert at filming. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, it does take, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time if it's one hour or seven hours. Um, but I do think most of that comes in in the plotting and planning and making sure it feels right. Because I guarantee you, anyone who doesn't do that work up front and just get started in the kind of nuts and bolts of it, somewhere in that project, they're going to have to go back anyways to make sure that they're grounded and they know where they're going. So might as well get it done. Um, know it's going to be the weight of it in the beginning and then dive into, to you know, kind of stepping out each piece. I agree. Um, when I did my online course, the self-hosted one, I literally did like had a storyboard, they call them, you know, where I had the little pictures of all the different lessons and all the different projects and, you know, week by week, like laid out, you have to, even though I am not natural organization of the mind does not come, you know, uh, naturally to me. Um, I definitely had to do that and had to get an outline. I agree with you. And even when I did, uh, create a bug courses, even though that's, a you know, they're, a that's what they do. They're a production company and they're, you know, experts in making these courses. We definitely had outlines and, you know, had phone calls where we're breaking it down and, you know, having the projects and all that type of thing so that it just has to be super organized. And I do the same thing, live teaching, like what breaking it down, what am I going to cover? And I, I build in room for flexibility and questions and things like that. But you, you know, a beginning, middle and end and making sure that you are covering the thing. So an outline, I agree, is the first step. Hugely important. So, okay, so I'm going to ask you like the series of questions of kind of how you get to teaching, um, how you get your class, you know, from idea to concept and everything that goes in there. So when you're deciding, you know, okay, this is what I'm going to teach. Now, where am I going to host it? What are the benefits and the drawbacks of, you know, self-hosting on your own website and hosting, you know, using a platform like Big Picture Classes or Creative Bug? So for me, um, they both have value, of course, and um, doing it self-hosting, it's a lot more work. You make more money, though, right? Because you're not sharing it. Um, You don't have a built-in audience necessarily unless you have, you know, 
uh, followers that are active and participating with you. Um, you'd want to, it'd be a hard place to start. I think if you didn't have some way to drive people to participate with you, if you're just self-hosting it, um, doing it on a platform that's already existing, like big picture or create a bug, you know, then they've got an audience hopefully. And sometimes they're membership based. So then you might get somebody to ask that wasn't even there because of your class, you know, for that specific content they have, you know, they help you promote, they help, um, and they do a ton of the work, you know, like I was saying, I, when I do it on creative bug, you fly up there, I'm there for a week and we've got it all broken down and you show up and you film and then you, you know, and it's just, it's a smooth running machine because they're, you know, these pros at it. And so it's different work and it's a lot less, it's no, you know, tech work for me, which is awesome, but you make less money too, because of course this is a business that is, you know, has to, that all costs a ton of money. I, I was asking the crew, like for me, if I were to hire them, you know, or someone like them doing what they do, there's a sound guy, you know, there's a camera, there's editing, you know, it'd be a, a few hundred per person per day, you know, to get them to, on a Saturday or something, someone like that, you know, a, a one day. And it's, you know, so obviously you're sharing the profits and everything. So I think that they're both great because you can you have a bigger platform to reach more people, inspire more and inform more. And the other one is self-hosting. You can really focus on what you want and just be you know, as I could, you know, it's a five week course, it's really involved. And, um, so there's no restrictions on it, but it's a lot more work. What about you, Brandy? How did you decide to use, go with big picture classes? So for me, um, when big picture reached out and I was just starting to think about teaching again as being an option, I was still working full time during the day, um, or, more than full-time. I was working a lot of hours at my day job. And so the thought of having to learn how to do all of those steps or to put the class together in a way that would be visually appealing to people, um, there's only so much time. And so if I can give this percentage to the actual making of the class, the taping, the lessons, that type of thing, then there's nothing left to put it together in a package that someone's going to enjoy receiving. And so this was an outlet that already has an established audience, like Pam said, that audience is so important when you're just starting out. And two, could put all of my pieces together in a way that is comfortable for someone. Because I think that's important. You can have really great content. And if you just kind of chuck it at somebody, they won't know how to process it and use it. And it may be intimidating in a different way. Um, and yes, I think it actually is very possible to do that. And that's something that I can explore next is, you know, how to self-host and how to make it. Uh, but at the time, it was like, where does the energy go? And the energy just didn't go there. Um, and it's also been a way to find an audience that I probably wouldn't have sought before. I have a lot of people that I never would have thought that, um, my classes would have been something that would be a really good tool for families. I don't have children, so it doesn't cross my mind. And from my first class, I got a lot of feedback um, from people who found it because they were taking other family-based classes on Big Picture site and said, oh, I love this. I do it with my kids and we're all participating. I would never have thought of that before. I now know, oh, this is a really interesting 
group of people that, you know, would love to use classes in this way. And I can now think about how to approach that in the future. So that's also a really interesting element in why, you know, that's such a good resource to use something like that. Yeah, I think that's how I found you was through Big Picture Classes. Um, And I'm so glad I did because I loved your class so much. And I love, you know, following along with you and everything that you do now. Um, You're right. And I think for me, you know, I started teaching at Big Picture Classes too. And now I'm working on my first self-hosted class. And it was a really good like learning tool for me is to see how they process things, how, what their outline is like, you know, because they, it's tried and true, you know, they've, they've been doing this a long time. They've tested this, they've gotten the feedback. And so that I think was the best way for me to get my feet wet and kind of figure out how to do this on my own and what I prefer and what works better for me and, you know, my audience. And so that's been really great. So when you are picking, um, technology and tools, what are the, the kind of the top things that you use when you're making your classes? So for me, what I learned is um, next time I do a self-hosted, which I will, um, I'm going to buy a video camera specific. I was using my DSLR, which ends up just taking, um, I guess, I don't even know, but more storage than needed than a video camera. It, you know, the mic isn't made for it. So I bought a separate mic and, you know, it's very heavy. My D, I have, uh, you know, my, my DSLR is a heavier camera. So the tripod I had to get to hold it was heavier. So personally, I would recommend, and I will the next time buy a specific video camera. I don't know what it is. I'll, you know, find out then, um, what, YouTube vloggers are using and, you know, other teacher friends are using, but, um, I would invest in a video camera specific because what it'll do too, is like change focus while you're moving. You know, it's different than you set your focus on the, the DSLR and maybe I'm getting too specific. I don't know, but I'm just, these are the things that I was learning. And, and so, uh, the, Another thing, I would definitely invest in a hard drive, like an external that could just be for your class because those videos take up so much room on your computer that at one point, you know, I had a computer startup just full, you know, and you just start melting down because it's just, you know, and, uh, you know, all that. It just kind of makes one, takes the joy out of it, right? And and we only want to do it if it's joyful because that ends up being the best result. So um, I would get a tripod that has an arm that does extend over because I personally love the angle of straight down. And I think students do too, you know, seeing you make, if if that's the type of work you're doing with your hands and it, you know, straight above. Right. Um, I think that's super important. And it took me a while to get one of those. And um, I would get a, I found it really helpful to have a Vimeo professional account so that I could store all the videos there and know that they're safely there. Um, and I think, you know, I did end up buying some lights and stuff. It just depends on, you know, how much time do you have? Like Brandy said, can you wait out bad weather days and your own schedule to get the best light? Or, you know, do you want to invest in a couple light boxes so that you can get the light and, and kind of squeeze it in at some, in a, you know, more bad lighting times. Um, but I think those are the basics that I wouldn't do it without knowing what I know now. Okay. 
What about you, Brandy? Because I know you use a lot of technology in your classes because you have a technology-based class. Yes. So, um, and this is a good question because I think I can, I'd love to give a different spin on it than what Pam is for. I'm going to think about the person who's just getting started or knows that they're always going to be limited with their funds or how big their class is. Um, So one thing I'll say just right off the top, because it's big for me right now is buy some daylight bulbs, like the daylight light bulbs. Go buy them right this second, actually, just for whatever you're doing. Go and buy them. It will change your life. You mean um, for regular lights? For regular lights. Oh. Go and buy these daylight bulbs. So one, because, you know, I live in the Pacific Northwest right now and it is um, so especially this time of year at about 3.30, it's getting dark and then that's it. Um, but on any given day, it's, you know, good lighting for videos is really important. Um, and mine has gotten better as I've learned and evolved. But a daylight bulb is the most affordable, most accessible way uh, to get good good lighting. So that's just my tip right away. Outside of that, I want to say you can get started with really core basics. So you can, um, if you're not going to be doing very long videos, you're just kind of baby stepping into it. You can video with your phone. Um, Most phones have actually really good video cameras. Um, You can get really basic technology. There's a lot of freeware that's out there for um, uploading and and editing and changing your video for putting in titles and things. So you don't have to have iMovie or most everything that I did up front was using freeware off the internet. Um, And that's really helpful because my biggest tip, I think, is don't let the technology and the tools stop you from doing the class. The class needs to be really good. It needs to have amazing content. It needs to have your full passion and authenticity and no good lighting or video quality is going to change that. So that's what you got to bring in first. And then the rest is a great addition. So you don't, I don't want anyone to feel paralyzed. Um, cause I definitely felt it at first. I thought, well, I cannot afford, like my DSLR did not do video. Um, there was no way I was going to afford a tripod. I mean, I should take pictures of the tripods that I've created. They're, they're my most creative work. Um, awesome. But um, I think, you know, there are some core things like get daylight bulbs and she was spot on with the external hard drive. I think that was one of the ways Pam and I first bonded was over our hard drives being full because it's paralyzing. Ugh. So those things are really good tips, but definitely utilize what is free and affordable out there and use what you have as you get comfortable with it because what you don't want is to think well I can't teach until I get these five pieces of equipment and then you get them and you really don't love teaching yeah Uh, true so it's okay to get started with those basics now once you're going and I've already written down a note I'm going to be purchasing everything that Pam is purchasing (laughs) wow so uh, but what I really I think for me and I this might be a good place to add it in because I was thinking about it earlier. You still get to decide what's going to be the best system for you. So to be honest, when Pam describes working with a film crew and having someone who will edit the videos and do all of those steps and it, the income is lower, um, but they're doing those pieces, that is so much more exciting to me. I immediately am like, I, yes, I'm like, I really would like to align myself with that because where my energy is, is teaching and doing that piece and not, I would forgo some of the income 
in order to have someone deal with those stresses. Um, and it's just one of those light bulbs that went off, right? As you were talking, I thought, God, that's the kind of teacher I am. And that's, you know, where I want to go with this. Um, so I think that's a, a good thing to consider as well as like, or what's even, worth it for you? Yeah. Like I hired my friend you know, who's experienced and comfortable and actually likes it and is good at it. And she puts out beautiful, Marianne Moss is who it is, dispatch from LA. And she puts out beautiful online courses and, you know, she's just super comfortable with technology. Um, and, oh, and, and one more thing I will say is that I, I hosted it. I didn't, unlike her, she knows she got into WordPress and I'm building a beautiful site and I wanted a beautiful site, but I used Squarespace and it was a godsend. Like I just, set up a completely separate website. And I would definitely recommend that for someone who's, you know, not interested in becoming an expert at web coding and designing. It it made it so I could have a beautiful platform and still do it myself without, you know, wanting to, you know, cry every night. They, they, I found them to be super, super helpful. Like I literally have like 45 minute, like chat back and forth with their, their, you know, helpers and, um, it just ended up being really user-friendly. So I will say that. And I did want to agree with Brandy in that I was speaking more to someone who knows they want to be a teacher and really get into this and what would have made it easier knowing I was doing it hardcore, you know, wanting to build a library of my own self-hosted, very in-depth courses. Um, But I also this year have some courses running on Cloth Paper Scissors website that is... um, they're all ABCs, like three or four lessons on different alphabets, fonts, and, you know, creative lettering. And um, I filmed all of those with my iPhone and a gorilla tripod, which just like you, I mean, it's a gorilla is one of those really inexpensive bendy, you know, it looks like the little old Gumby doll and you can, um, move it around and then I'd have it stacked on a pillow or on a, you know, box, you know, and all this stuff to get it kind of over what I was doing. But, um, and use an inexpensive tripod, like to, to sort of, you know, make it go over my, my, you know, hands as I was doing the, the lettering. Um, and I definitely used free apps or very inexpensive apps like over to write on top of it and to, um, add things. And I edited it all on my phone with the iMovie that came with my phone. It is an iPhone. Um, but I literally used iMovie and edited it and, you know, was able to do all that with the phone that I had. And I think the quality is really good, you know, and I even was able to send it like using an app called WeTransfer, send these huge files to them so they could upload it to their site to host it all on the phone. So absolutely. I agree with Brandy 100% and don't make it so complicated. I have a knack for complicating things and overthinking things and, you know, wanting this crazy perfection. And what good is that if you don't get it done and you're not able to share and, you know, express if you make it so complicated that you'll just never start. So yeah, it can be done on a shoestring budget and, you know, get your feet wet and see if you, if you do like it. That's, I think that's the most important thing is, you know, you can be paralyzed. If you have something you want to teach, you have something people are asking for. Don't be paralyzed by the platform, the technology, all of those things, just get it out there and you can improve as you grow, you know, and as you learn and, you know, it's, 
you know, perfect, makes perfect sense. There are fabulous classes on how to set up a square pay, square space site, how to use your video camera. There are classes on. I'm sure there's now. classes on how to have a class. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, there is. I'm actually <laughs> taking one. It's fantastic. It's um, Caroline from Made Vibrant is one of her classes and it's so good. It's so helpful. And I've even I've made multiple classes and I'm going through it and I'm learning so much stuff. So we'll have a link to all of the things that they're recommending um, and to this class in the show notes. Um, Awesome. You know, that's another thing about teaching. I did want to say is that no matter how, I mean, there really is a desire for a class on everything. I remember I have a friend who just recently showed at Surtex, you know, the, um, surface pattern design trade show and she took a class on how to prep i mean there's if you are interested in teaching there is a subject you know that you could really get into and there is an audience that usually is interested in this even if it's super specific you know just like you're saying you're taking an online course one or i'm sure there's on everything and there's skillshare is another platform there's so many different platforms too i did want to say that it doesn't have to be you know self-hosted or one of these huge, like big picture classes or creative bug, there's smaller, um, people that are starting up their own, like kind of, I almost think of them as like mini classrooms, you know, where they might have you come to them and they film or you submit your already filmed videos, but they're hosting it and they're dealing with all the technology of setting it up and getting that link live and issues, you know, that come up and processing all those type of things too. So there's a lot of in between or Skillshare is one where I think you can teach on there and, you know, they, they're set up for these, um, class online classes, but, uh, it doesn't have to be one extreme or the other. So, okay. So now we have gotten our idea. We've made our class. We've set it all up. So now I feel like this is the hardest part. How do you choose a price? Okay. So for me, I mean, obviously the big platforms, they do it for you, right? They know what the, what their rates are. And, um, and when I teach live, it's generally, um, a set price as well. So it's a, you know, there's standards where maybe you get invited to teach at a studio and then they have their rates, which generally are, are similar wherever I travel to, you know? Um, so when I hosted my online course, it's, it's, I think it's hard to do that and you know until you've been doing it for a while but um i just really was thinking of you know really how what are the like you know sort of similar plot classes on a self-hosted with this much detail and this much you know this many videos and did a lot of research and talked to a lot of my artist friends about what their classes, you know, what was the content and tried to, you know, make it as apples to apples as I could to figure out what the fair, um, varies so much online and because then you've got, how long is it going to be? Is it for life? Is it, you know, six months? Is it, and there's different reasons for doing it, you know, certain ways. Are you going to have, individual logins where you can have it be a time. So, you know, it starts getting super complicated again, like my gift to um, overcomplicate it. So I just would say you have to kind of do your research, compare as close to what you're offering. And the, one of the best ways I 
always approach, like even the art that I make or um, classes is what would I really be willing to pay for this? Like, what is a fair price? You know, because you don't want you certainly don't want to overcharge, you know, but you don't want to undercharge either because then you won't do it again. You know, it won't be worth your time and effort if it's not, you know, a win win for everybody. Yeah, that's always the hardest part for artists and people in general when you're selling something so personal is, you know, how to do that pricing. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of one of the great things about it becoming such a common and, you know, just so much of the classes available is that it does start to get kind of more standard, the pricing, I think, somewhat, you know. Yeah, yeah, it has helped with so many more new classes coming out and seeing that standard pricing and, and helping validate each other. And I've read this a lot online is when artists will talk about when someone comes into, you know, your your field or your niche and they sorely underprice, they undercut the value of all the artists in that field and saying, you know, you shouldn't be charging this much because, you know, your time or your skills or your whatever are not worth it. And so I think it is important that people realize, you know, that what one person is charging will affect someone you don't even know's pricing system. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one thing we've looked at with, you know, Get Messy, we're expanding our courses a lot and we have a lot of new courses coming out. And so I think it's helpful to have a range of courses. You know, our goal is to have courses that are like $15 up to like $100. And then you can also say like, okay, this is getting to be too much in one class and it's getting to feel like it should be more expensive. So maybe we'll do a two-part class. Like Brandy has, you know, two parts. And so if someone just wants the like, just the doodling portion, you know, they can pay $20 for that. And then if they want the technology portion, they can pay another $20 for that instead of, you know, trying to charge a large amount and people not really understanding why or saying, well, I don't want, I don't care about the technology side. Like that's not something I need. And so I think you can do two part classes and splitting things up will help people. Well, related to pricing, how do you ensure learner satisfaction? You know, Brandy, you have a hundred percent um, review rate on big picture classes and Pam, people are always like raving on Instagram about your classes. So how do you guys ensure that people are getting what they're paying for and that they're happy with this? That's a tricky question in the sense that, um, I think as a teacher, it's really hard to ensure that everyone's going to have that hundred percent, um, experience with it. And I don't say that because we didn't try. So I like to give more than I think I can give to every project, especially to teaching because it's such a passion. Um, I always want to do what I think I can do and then give a little bit more because I'm trying to attend to all of the different students. I'm trying to think about ways in for everybody that's going to um, join in what I'm doing. On the other hand, there is no way, I think, to attend to every student every time. I think we can do a great job. I think we should strive for it. And I would hope that most of the time, um, you know, we get very close. But there will be times where someone will come away from it feeling like, you know, I can see the value. You did a great job. It wasn't 100% for me because it turns out I need this is different or I want this to be different. Um, and maybe they didn't even realize it going into it. And I think, honestly, that's almost a better way to approach and an easier way to approach a class that's going to be more fulfilling. And you're going to get the students who say, this is a hundred percent class for me 
because they're almost going to see and feel the honesty in that. Students know when you're working hard and you're trying to meet them where they are. Um, I know as a student, I love teachers who I can feel are trying to meet me where I am. They're not expecting me to be in any one place. And so even if a class is like, okay, this is really great. I kind of wish it had done these other five things that I didn't know it wouldn't do, or I didn't realize until I was halfway in that I was looking for this. But the teacher made it up by just being... 120% there, just fully available and open. Um, I feel like that kind of bridges that gap for me. So I think that that's kind of an important way to look at it is to show up, bring everything that you've got and be honest and open to the fact that sometimes it might not be enough for the student, but it's okay to be upfront about it. It's okay to have that conversation, figure out if there's something else you can do, maybe gear them to someone next. There might be another teacher that you know that's going to be so good for that next piece that they need. I completely agree with you. I think that you could sum it up by saying manage expectations because people will come, you know, if you are super clear about what your content is and what you're providing, especially, you know, with something more expensive, then people can be really educated about whether they are going to be happy with it. You know, as long as you do provide those things. Uh, in other words, I try to, with my online course, which is a much more expensive and bigger investment for people to be really specific. There are 32 high def videos, you know, and it says you will need a, you know, comfortable using your computer and, and, you know, you do need a high speed, fast internet connection, you know, and just really try to spell it out so that they're not, you know, going and like, well, I, it was too many videos. I didn't want to watch. I didn't want to learn by just videos. I wanted, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, they, they can make a more informed decision for themselves as a purchaser. And I think that that really helps, you know, because I agree with Brandy, you can't please everybody you want to, of course, you know, you want everyone to be thrilled and love it and inspired and, but everybody, you know, so different, of course, people and people have other things going on in their lives, you know, things happen and that all, you know, changes how you feel and the, uh, your mindset when you're taking the class and everything, you know? And so, um, I just feel like if you can manage expectations and be really, specific and detailed about what the class provides that's helpful and then another thing that I think is has been super helpful for me is you know really be accessible so um you know get into, be excited as a teacher it really helps if you can be excited about scrolling that hashtag and like you know, being excited. And I'm thrilled when I see like people's work, you know, and, and have a way to engage or a way for them to ask questions, you know, and just, you can't just produce it and then you're done and walk away. You have to be available. If there's, you, you have to know that, um, there's always going to be, someone's going to lose their password. Someone's going to, you know, there's always going to be something where you as the teacher, whether it's answer this question on, for creative bugs, this is a supply question they'll send me or, you know, or, um, my own, you know, can you resend me my password or I lost this or, you know, a question, a specific question about you, you use this supply. And then I'll, I'll 
take that note and go add it to the classroom for everyone. Great question was brought up. Why this versus this? This is just my take on it. So I'm just saying it's it's more than just making the content. You have to be available. And I think you'll have much greater success. Knowing you're not you're not done just when the class is is made. Yeah, that is a really important point. Um, so speaking of best classes, can you guys recommend any classes that you've taken, any teachers that you really love and are inspired by? Maybe just a few. Sure. Well, personally, I I cannot believe that Creative Bug has like 700 classes uh, for $4.95 a month. I know. And you can just take four week-long classes. Uh, August Wren has a great class on there. Lisa Congan always has great classes. I mean, there's just... Great quilt class. There's classes for everything. So I do think uh, a membership like that is a great place, like BPC or whatever, too. You know, that's one way. Um, I I love all my friend Marianne's classes. They're really quality. Uh, Remains of the Day, Dispatch from LA, was one of the first ones. And it's still so great. Sketchbook. Um, trying to think of other independent classes, personally. Oh, I do think Allie always has great classes, Allie Edwards super approachable, super affordable. And, you know, she's great. Uh, how about you, Brandy? Uh, so I was going to say Allie as well. I think, I think Allie Edwards does a really good job of giving her students that 120, just kind of going above and beyond and thinking about the different learners that are there and how they might use the content. What I'm usually looking for in a class um, as a student is I want to be able to break apart the knowledge and use it in whatever way I'm inspired to use it. So I like classes that I can kind of, it's not just the wreath, you know, it's, and it's not just a process. It's like, you've given me enough as a teacher that I can use that in a different frame of reference or on another project because it's such a global kind of thought or you're imparting something. Um, and I think Allie does a great job of that. I think Tina Asmus of Life Love Paper, um, she mostly pairs with Studio Calico when she does hers, but anytime she does a class, uh, she offers that same thing. I can take a technique that feels like it's really specific to the project and take her her thought and the theory of art behind it and apply it to so many other things. She's also very approachable. Uh, so I really, I enjoy that as well. Uh, well. We will have links to all of these teachers and all of these classes in the show notes for you guys if you are interested in taking them. And can you guys tell us, do you have a new class coming out? that you want us to be looking forward to? Or is if there's one class of yours that we should take to get started, what would you guys suggest? Mm, well, I right now, just my painting petals on pamgarrison.com is on sale because the time is, it's only up until January 31st. So the price has dropped a lot, 30%. So um, of course I recommend that. And then I'm teaching live at Craftcation in April of 2017, uh, which is in Ventura on the beach. Really fun. And that's, that's a lot of, uh, not only project, but process and also even social media and business of the, you know, of art business, making a business. So there's a lot there. And then also Italy, if anyone wants to go with me to Italy in October of 2017, we're going to be doing travel journals and, um, it's, I've been there before teaching and it's fantastic. So, would love to have anyone come there. Very cool. We all want to come to Italy with you. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Brandy? 
well, I'll be in Italy um, doing a travel journal. So that's going to take up <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> it sounds like. Um, so I don't have another class on the horizon right at the moment. Uh, but what I would say, because I feel like I'm talking about this a lot, I get a lot of questions about, do I have a class for drawing? So just to remind people who aren't familiar that my doodled classes are still on big picture. Uh, and I, the one that I've been talking to a lot of people about now, so I'll mention, is the second one, the digital version. I actually go through everything from um, really free, cheap, and easy ways to digitize your work to things that are um, – my, it's really bad class titles. It's like more money, more problems. And so it's like um, technology where you can pay a little bit more and do more with it. And I keep getting questions of, well, I can't afford this tablet or this system. And so I really dig into that in that class. So if that's something that people are interested in, um, I really did pack all that information into those doodled classes. And those are still available. Fantastic. Well, thank you ladies so much for sharing with us. You have shared so much knowledge, so much encouragement, and I cannot wait for people to hear this episode and to start taking some classes or start teaching some of their own classes. Um, and so we will have links to everything in the show notes and you can connect with Brandy and Pam through their social media and their sites. And we'll share all of that with you. Thank you ladies so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to How She Creates. We would love to see how you create. Share with us on Instagram using the hashtag HowSheCreates. If you love learning about creativity with us, please leave us a review and subscribe on iTunes. Grab your art supplies and we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of How She Creates.